I'll just make sure I got all my. Oh, you... duh. Sorry, I, oh, my books aren't in order. I was prepping something else for the show and didn't, uh, you know, pay attention. Don't you have a fluffer for that? <sighs> Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> I totally need a fluffer for the show. <laughs> Just to make sure I'm hard and ready to go at all times. I, I think I even know somebody who'd do it for uh, for cheap. But John, he doesn't wake up early enough. Yeah, he's not <laughs> <hurry> <laughs> <up>. <laughs> Poor Jonathan. Poor, poor Jonathan. with Aaron and Polly and their amazing friends. I'm Aaron. I'm Polly. This is Wayne. And this is Tim, the straw that stirs the drink. <laughs> and Jonathan is officially fired. Yes, he is off the show. <laughs> Jonathan is dead to us. I got his cube. We will speak his name no more. He is officially shunned. We will speak his name no more, really? Because, I mean, isn't part of being fired that we get to chat about you? Yeah, but we'll, yeah. we'll refer to him as the uh, the associate, which must not be named. That's a good point. What, yeah. what, uh, we will call him... The associate, which must not be named. Yeah, you're just going to loop that over. It'll, <laughs> it'll just be your voice, no matter who's saying it. <laughs> oh, you know what that reminds me of? When the associate, who must not be named. That's right. <laughs> it's going to be like a bitch a to edit all the old episodes to add that in. Yeah, we, we're going to have to retroactively remove him from the show. Retcon continuity. Well, and what'll be great is when he's introducing himself on the show, you know, and I'm and I'm the associate who must not be named. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing we'll keep in of his is Red Rocket. <laughs> and my taste of shit. Yeah. <laughs> I got a box in the mail yesterday. Uh oh. From one Aaron Head. Yeah. Now he referred to this on Twitter the other day as the bro- as a bromance package. So when I got it in the mail, it was a big box and it was heavy, and I was like, "Oh my god, what did he send me? Did he send me like naked pictures or what?" And so there's a nice little card in there. There's a copy of Red Dead Redemption. Thank you very much. You're welcome. And then there's three books. That are all my books <laughs> that he was returning to me. I'm like, this isn't a bromance package. This is a breakup package. <laughs> <laughs> I can't stand to look at your stuff anymore. <laughs> I want it out. Yeah, I can't have it in my house. I also put your feminine hygiene products in there, Paul. I appreciate that. <laughs> and all of my teeth that fell out when I was a child. That's right. I don't want any of your Tampax in the house anymore. I, I was just like, Aaron's dumping me. <laughs> is my Calvin and Hobbes sweatshirt in there too? <laughs> no, you know, he I kept I, that because it still smells like you. I, 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 I keep forgetting to bring those books to you when I when I come to town. So it's like, eh, hey, I'll shove them in there. When Paul loaned me those books because we, were, uh, I think two of them were for uh, for interviews we were prepping for, 
And he's like, no, you've got to give them back. These are just a loan. It's not part of your library. These come back to me. Just remember, they're mine. So. Yeah. Well, I wanted my missile mouse back. Yeah. But you also sent back Love Buzz. Why'd you yeah, give me that? That is for back? you, pal. That is all that you. No, no. <laughs> so, Paul, what are the rest of us going to get to meet you and you know realize that you aren't real and you're just a figment of uh, Aaron's imagination? I, I am like the Hobbs of this show. You are. <laughs> well, you see, I, I use my super ventriloquism to create Paul's identity. Yeah, there's photographic evidence of everybody but Paul. I'm just going to point That's that right. out. Yeah. No, I was in that picture. You just don't see me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so to answer your question, no clue. I'm guessing maybe Fear the Con 4 since everyone seems to be pestering me to be there. Oh, you're going to be there. <laughs> see. That's right. See, we're going to send Tim to get you. <laughs> you know, so so you can come on your own, Paul, and travel, you know, in, in, in style on an airplane, or you can ride in the back of uh, Tim's trunk. Your choice. The back of the Saturn. <laughs> See where the magic happens where Tim records. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we might even record an episode on the way there. Oh, yeah. We call it Fear the Car Ride. Oh, snap. Oh. <laughs> <sighs> So speaking of things I want to shove in a box, um, I was at my comic book store, and um, I was kind of looking around because I knew what I wanted, but you know I always look at the new stuff. And One Month to Live 2 was sitting there on the shelf, and I I, sto- I stared at it for about 10 seconds trying to figure out if that was number one or number two because I was kind of far away. And this, this bastard grabbed the last one on me while I was just about ready to grab it. I'm like – you got to be kidding me. You long-haired, tubby, black shirt-wearing bastard. And Did I can you punch say him that. in the dick hole? Oh, <laughs> no. Well, I, I see, I can say that because I'm tubby and, and long-haired, but I only own, I wasn't wearing my black shirt. so <laughs> He was really looking at a mirror as he's complaining. Uh, <laughs> you bastard, you stole this comic book from me. And he's just, it's sitting on his desk right in front of him right now. I was just, I was so indignant. I was like, I can't believe that. That just, that just fucking happened. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> it's look out! Rim's coming. Uh, I gotta wait a week. I gotta wait a week on that. So, Paul, have you cracked open a Red Dead Redemption yet? I have not. Well, I just got it last night. I was out late last night, so. See, I, I know. I, you, I know you don't have it for the PlayStation. Otherwise, maybe you could actually play that with me too. Well, we've got Marvel Ultimate Alliance and all sorts. I have of my copy back now as well, so we can get all three of us on there. Okay, yep. off mics. We should talk about this. No, we should talk about it on the mics. Everyone well, cares about mics, our gaming. Oh, yeah, okay, so let's plan this. So what are you guys yeah, we doing can't. today? Yeah. <laughs> about 3 o'clock Eastern time. Nah. You know what we should talk about, though? What, 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 I, I, maybe you're going to say that we should talk about Alan Moore. Is you that know, what you're going to say? Actually. Did you, did you read that blog yesterday, that, I that interview? I was going to say comics, but I guess Alan Moore has something to do with comics. So, yeah, <laughs> I guess we should chat about that. Did, did you guys read that? He had this interview where he was talking about the rights to Watchmen and and, and speculation about a, a a Watchmen sequel. And you know, every time I read anything that Alan Moore, any interview with Alan Moore, he's just such a prick. <laughs> and the the interview starts off with how, according to Alan Moore, Dave Gibbons, the artist for Watchmen, who shares you know credit on that series with Alan Moore was being used as a go-between between DC and Alan Moore. And, you know, Alan Moore didn't want anything to do with the movie. 
you know, gave all of his rights to reimbursement to Dave Gibbons because he didn't want his name on it, didn't want any money coming to him. So, you know, anything that, that Warner was going to be paying out, they just give it all to Dave Gibbons. And Alan Moore, throughout his recollection of, of these events, keeps saying, so Dave, you know, the only thing I want you, want to hear you, uh, you know, talk to me about, Watchmen, is you calling me to thank me for the money. And says that several times and then makes a real point about how Dave never called him to talk, to thank him for the money. But he goes on and he's talking about, you know, Alan Moore says that he hates the comic book industry and that, you know, it is a, it's an unethical business and that he won't have anything to do with it anymore. And he, I'm, I'm going to quote one bit here from his interview. He says, I don't know. This is just my appraisal of these things, but it's, you know, I don't know, again, a funny thing to do if they see these things as being as important as they seem to think they are. And he's talking about uh, prequels and sequels to Watchmen, which Alan Moore is not willing to sign off on because he, he, he owns a piece of the rights to those characters. He says, at the end of the day, if they haven't got any properties that are valuable enough, but they've got these, and he says this in quotes, top flight industry creators that are ready to produce these prequels and sequels to Watchmen, well, that is probably a radical idea. But could they not get one of these top flight creators to come up with an idea of their own? Why are DC Comics trying to exploit a comic book that they wrote that I wrote 25 years ago <clears throat> if they've got anything? Sure, they ought to have had an equivalent idea since. I could ask about why Marvel Comics are churning out, churning out or planning to bring out my ancient Marvel Man stories, which are even older. If they had a viable idea of their own in the, in the quarter century since I wrote those works, I mean, surely that would be a much easier solution than all of this clandestine stuff. Just simply get some of your top-flight talent to put out a book that the wider public outside of the comics field find as interesting or as appealing as the stuff I wrote 25 years ago. I just This man is such a prick. <laughs> I think what Aaron's saying is, as politely as possible, fuck you, Alan Moore. You know, his whole <laughs> I hate the comic book industry sounds to me like a guy that won a lottery ticket, won millions of dollars on this ticket, and then goes back to the gas station he bought it from and says, I'm above you now. Yeah. I, I hate the way you do business. I would never shop here anymore. You know, I, I would have a lot more respect for him if he'd just say, you know, I really don't want uh, you guys to do anything else with these, you know, creations of mine. No. You know, and just leave it at that. But he can't do that. He's got to drag everybody else down with him. And for him to sit there and say, you know, you, you, you haven't generated anything in 25 years that's as cool as something that I did just irritates the shit out of me. You know, he he's not seen the movie The Watchman, but he spends a great deal of time talking about how much he hates the movie. Well, he said in interviews that he won't watch any movie made of his properties. Yeah. And that after he signs it over, he doesn't care what happens to it anymore because that's the movie and that's not his property anymore. Right. He said that about League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Right. And From Hell. But he still reserves the right to, to bash the movie. So he's got very dim views of the movie. And I'm sorry. I think the Watchmen movie is a wonderful film. You know, and it, it stands completely on its own away from, from the book. Now, they're both very different stories. It just drives me crazy that he can't appreciate, you know, that other things have happened since he stopped writing these books. And what, what frustrates me so much about Alan Moore is that I enjoy a great deal of his work, but God, I can't stand him. You know, and I don't care if you are the creator. If you haven't seen the movie, 
then you have no right to be bashing a movie you've never seen. You have no clue. Doesn't the, does, doesn't the dude have a point, though? I mean, let, let's back up a sec. If there was any, if there was so much clamoring for like an owl prequel or whatever the hell, uh-huh. and he's saying, can't they find something that's more interesting that's happened in the past? Oh, I don't know, twenty five years. Well, let's talk that, about why an owl prequel would would be desired because okay. of the movie. You know, it's not because there is that there are these these multitudinous readers inside and outside of the comics hobby that before the movie were dying for an owl prequel. It's the fact that you had a movie that was pretty darn successful, and now you've got people who you could bring back into the comics industry to read it. It's not because of the success of the comic. It's because of the success of the movie. You know, I, I don't know if I agree or disagree with that statement, but I would say if, if someone – if there were to – if they were to do sequels, prequels to Watchmen, you know, I don't think that it's necessarily indicative of a lack of ideas in the comic field. I agree. Comics by their nature are serialized fiction and, you know, and when a story ends, there is always a clamoring for more. Harry Potter has been over yep. for like two years and people still want to see more Harry Potter. It's not indicative of a lack of ideas. It's indicative of a love of the characters and the story and wanting more from that world. I agree. So, you know, I think his comments that, well, you know, that's because comics have sucked since I wrote that those two popular books I wrote 25 years ago. But I'll uh, say that – no, I, I, I don't think that's what he was – and maybe that's kind of kind of how it came out, but I think what he said is, where are the comic books that transcend comic book readers? That's why Watchmen was made because that story was such that there was enough clamoring for it from outside of your local fanboys. True, but let's be honest about Watchmen. Watchmen is only the hit it was because of editorial mandate. Originally, mm-hmm. the way Alan Moore wanted to write it was to include all of these old comic characters that no one gave a shit about. And when he couldn't get the rights and they said no, he had to create them specially. You know, mm-hmm. He had to create these archetypes. And it's because they aren't these generic characters that no one gave a shit about that Watchmen became the hit it did. Yeah, You're talking about the Charleston characters. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, the you characters know, we'll be talking about in a few minutes when we talk about Justice League Generation Lost. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, um, I I think the reason why DC wants to do these books is when the, the Watchmen movie came out, the Watchmen, Watchmen trade paperback trade. became the number one best-selling trade, trade paperback for DC of all time. And that didn't, that didn't come because every comic book guy like, like you and me – went out and bought the trade, it became guys that don't read comics went out and bought the trade. You know, it had that crossover appeal. It went outside the hobby. And that was because the movie got made. It, it moved into more of a mass media. Now, you know, certainly Watchmen was already doing pretty well, but it hadn't crossed over into that huge of an event. Um, and the fact that you you had the film brought a lot more people in. And DC's it's the same reason Scott Pilgrim number six was the number one trade paperback last month. That's right for August. That's right. And I and I'm not trying to diminish Alan Moore's work. I own Watchmen. I love that book. You know, dis, despite my very strong feelings about Alan Moore, I love Watchmen. I think it's a terrific, terrific book. But for him to say that uh, you know he's the reason that it has was so successful recently is a little, is a whole lot of horseshit because the movie turned into something else 
it crossed the, the genres and brought in more people. It infuriates me that he is slamming the creative talent that we have in the industry now. Because I got to tell you, I think we've got we've got bigger and better talent in the industry now than we've ever had. Not to say that we haven't had superstars in the past, but I think we've got more of them. The fact that you've got guys like Jeff Johns, Brian Michael Bendis, you know, cranking out as much as they're cranking out is fantastic. And being humble about it. Exactly. You know, I mean, the, the creators nowadays, other than Mark Miller, screw you, um, you know, are, are humble. They're nice. They like their fans. They talk to their fans. You know, they, they are general, you know, generally nice guys, you know, who produce good work. And obviously, Alan Moore's not like that. Yeah. You know, and Alan Moore also takes all the credit for something that went well, but none of the blame for anything that didn't go well. Yeah. If you read anything he has to say about League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which I enjoy, but I know is seen as you know as a failure, it didn't. I don't think it even made back the money that they spent to to create it when it was in theaters. Mm-hmm. You know, we re- talk read about uh, what he thought of that movie. He takes none of the blame for it. He said basically, once I sign it, my hands are off you know, on it. They make it, whether it succeeds or fails, that's on them. When the movie fails. Right. When the movie succeeds, well, that's all him. Right. right. Yeah. You know, I would say creators, um, and I want to point readers to another website, um, Comic Book Resources, has a, a column called Tilting at Windmills. You know, you shouldn't be reading other sites other than Ideology of Madness. But there's a, a good article there with comments from creators like Kurt Busaic and um, Mark Wade, And they make, I think, some valid points, unlike Alan Moore about the oversaturation of the market right now um, and how comics from the big two are relatively inaccessible to new readers. Those, I think, are valid points. Did I ever tell you about the time that Kirby say it cost me a dinner? No. <laughs> it was right about the time that uh, Justice League Avengers, the crossover, was going on. So I picked up the first couple issues. I went to a local comic book convention with my wife, and he was there. And I'm looking over at the table. I'm thinking, I want to get this thing signed, but how do I do this? So I just approached the guy because I'd never been to a convention like that, that before. I'd never seen someone like that. So I'm talking to my wife about it, and she's like, you're just being a big baby here. And she grabs a book and goes up. She's like, my husband would like to get this signed. It says that you're the guy that made this. So I go over and I start talking with the guy. Incredibly nice. We have a five, ten minute conversation. And he's like, so now you need to take your wife out for a nice dinner because she's, she did all the work of getting this side for you. <laughs> and he's like, and before he gets me back the book, he's like, so you're going to take her out, right? And he holds the he book holds- until I look at her and say, yeah, I'll take her out for a nice dinner. <laughs> and then you went to Wendy's. <laughs> and let her order anything off the value menu. <laughs> what the hell? It's a special occasion. You can get a Coke instead of a water. <laughs> Small Coke. Nice. <laughs> yeah, he was a very nice guy. Like I said, we had a good five, ten minute conversation at this convention. And he's just he's very approachable for fans. And I just don't see someone like Alan Moore doing that. Well, no. I don't know. I don't know about the rest of them, but I, I heard you, Alan. I cut out the noise and I heard the signal, brother. As a part time <laughs> jerk, I heard you. I can't stop the signal. You know what? I, I'm going to challenge you there, Tim, on this whole part-time jerk thing. <laughs> I don't think you're pulling 40, 45 hours a week on that. <laughs> yeah, but I do it half-assed, though, so really it's my morning. True. 
true. <laughs> you know, I think we finally found Tim's other embarrassing omission besides Teen Titans. He's also an Alamore apologist. Oh, I'm going to take I that. He, I, I just think he has a point when it comes to innovation in comic books. I think if you take out the I'm the best, that the movie sucked, uh, I did everything good and nothing bad, all that all that noise, the signal is is that, yeah, for innovative comic books, there hasn't been a whole lot, I think, in my opinion. Well, your opinion is wrong, Tim. And that brings me back to the Mark Wade and Kirk Busaic stuff, which I, I, want, I keep bringing up because I think it has very much to do with some of the comments I'm going to make on this week's comic uh, polls. Okay. Um, Mark Wade... Uh, sent a tweet back in July that said, you know, maybe we'll put a link in the show notes uh, to this story. Um, He said, and today was the day I stopped reading superhero comics. One that I won't name finally broke me. Collection stops as of now. No joke. Keep in mind that Mark Wade writes superhero comics. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And then Kirk Busaic says, I get all the DC books free, like Steve, I don't know who you're referring to there, and don't read most of them. Part of it's that they're just not aimed at me. There are a lot of line-wide stunts that seem to affect all the books, which makes it hard to follow them as individual series. But at the same time, there's no apparent interest in building or maintaining a coherent universe. So whether you're looking for self-contained stories or want to wallow in the peculiar glories of a shared universe, and I like both, they're presented in a way that messes up either thrill, at least for me. Add to that to the tone of the books, which seems to be overwhelmingly grim, cheerless, and bleak. And it's a sandbox I don't much want to play in or read about. But like I said, they're not aimed at me. And I think there's something to be said there, especially when we get into this week's books and how many of them tie into other books. Well, and and I absolutely agree. I We were talking about that last week when I was talking about event books. Um, I think some of that stuff is just, you know... It's just sales. It's not. It's not creative storytelling in a lot of ways. But you know, let let's let's back up to to Watchmen. Watchmen was outside of continuity. Watchmen was was a maxi series, twelve issues long. Um, we still see that. We still see those kinds of good books. You know, uh, I, I I think Alias, uh, Brian Michael Bendis's uh, work was groundbreaking. Um, I I think that. You know, fast forward 25 years, will there be a movie of that? I guarantee you there will be, you know, because you can still lift out the superhero, uh, the superheroics of it. And you don't have to have Spider-Man and whatnot in there. Um, that story stands up. And I think people will get a kick out of that. You know, yeah, let's think you've got the Walking Dead TV show getting ready to start. Absolutely. That's, that's certainly come out since Watchmen. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of innovation out there. And I'm sorry that Alan Moore doesn't see it now, you know. Was Blackest Night innovative? Not so much. Was Siege innovative? There were elements that I really liked, but it wasn't executed well. Yeah, the comic book industry is bigger than two companies. Scott right. Pilgrim. I may not have liked the comic. I love the movie. I may not have liked the comic, but it was innovative. It was definitely different than anything I'd ever read before. Yeah. So I I, I disagree with Alan Moore, and I think – I, I think it's fair to, to have those, those those feelings and that perspective, but it's not necessary to drag everyone down, you know, and, and to, to elevate yourself above the other talent. I mean, because let's be honest, there was a lot of innovation 25 years ago. There's there was a lot the of innovation Knight. today. There's a lot of – yeah, but I, I'm, I'm saying you know, there were a lot of great things that happened in comics – at the time that Alan Moore was popular. That's right. That's right. Notice how I say at the time, because really, does anybody give a crap about Alan Moore right now? 
uh, en- you know? enough to argue about him on the show. <laughs> Tim does. But, en- but enough to buy his books. I no. mean, I would venture to say League of Extraordinary Gentlemen isn't selling the numbers it sold back at Wildstorm or whatever DC Comics. Right. You know, uh, if it's even still being produced, I don't know. It is. It is. Um, you know, and he wrote that Neonomicon thing for Avatar Press, which I read and enjoyed. But let's keep in mind it's Avatar Press. It's yeah. not, you know. It's well, not going to set aside, the, you know, set the sales charts ablaze. And like I said, as much as I dislike him, he's a very talented writer. I love his uh, America's Best Comics line. You know, I am all about Tom Strong. Uh, I even enjoyed the Prometheus stuff. But you know, him as a person cannot abide him. Wow, that was going to be banter. <laughs> 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 so uh, speaking of innovation or lack thereof, let's move into our brightest day update. Starting Ooh. off with Green Lantern number forty or fifty-seven. Excuse me. After the conversation we just had, I'm almost embarrassed to say that I really enjoyed this. I'm not embarrassed to say that. I, I'm just <laughs> you know uh, we were talking about line-wide events and inaccessibility to new readers, and I think Brightest Day is a prime example oh, of that. I, I do agree. I think that. I think that it's very in- inaccessible. Um, I kind of wish that all of this was over. Um, I don't feel as bound into the Brightest Day books as I felt like Shadowland was was requiring me to do some things. Um, but I, I got Larflees once again steals the show. I just I find him hysterical in this book. Yeah, I mean I I, I can't lie. I, I the reason I read Green Lantern. Mm-hmm. And thank God, because it's the only two ninety nine book I bought, or one of the few two ninety nine books I bought this week. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think DC is the only one still producing two ninety nine books. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is that I really do love the series. I love the characters. I love the innovation, and it's it's big superhero storytelling, unlike you know some of the other titles on the market. I mean, there's so much that goes on in this book, and it's bright and it's colorful, and as stupid as the idea seemed at first of the rainbow spectrum of Lantern Corps. Yeah, it really makes for a gorgeous book. Yeah, well, yeah, Doug Mankey, you know, just continues to 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 draw amazing stuff, and and his uh, creative team are are coloring and inking just beautiful books. And the idea of dropping Larflees into Las Vegas is hysterical. You know, his scene where oh, you can eat buffet. <laughs> yeah, I have arrived. <laughs> So yeah, I mean, I, I I really enjoyed the book, and particularly dug the last page when they declare that uh, you know Carol Ferris is the new queen of the star sapphires, and there's Larfley's going, I want to be queen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I dug it. And um, you know, just like they they revealed a softer side to the Red Lanterns. Um, we're starting to see that a little bit with Larfley's. There, there's mention of his family. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that brings a tear to his eye. So uh, I think you know, I, I really like what they're doing with the book. I, yeah. I, I am enjoying it, but I can't recommend it to new readers. I mean, you'd have to go back, you know, uh, f- at least four years. Yeah, and uh, to, uh, well, to understand what's going on. Yeah, I mean, you'd have to go all the way back to pre-Blackest Night, you know, to the the the, the lead up to Blackest Night to understand a whole lot what's going on. So yeah, it's it's absolutely not welcoming to new folks. I mean, I think to a certain extent, you'd have to go back to Rebirth. Yeah. To, to really get the – and don't get me wrong. As someone who's followed it since Rebirth, love it. 
Yeah, same here. Same here. No complaints. It's just, but you're absolutely right. I mean, I don't know how a new reader, you know, accesses it. Yeah. And along those lines, Justice League Generation Lost is very much the same kind of book. While I really enjoy it, I'm not sure how much a new reader is going to get out of that. Yeah, I mean, it's it really calls back a lot to the to the not 80s. just stuff that's happening now, but yeah, back to the 80s to the Justice League International. Yeah. And I thought this was a particularly strong issue. Stuff happened in this issue. And, uh, you know, I, I thought the artwork was great and I enjoyed the story and, and where the characters are going. But, you know, again, not particularly accessible. What would you think, Wayne? Yeah, I, I mean, I would agree. It's uh, This was a particularly strong issue. After all this time, they actually come face to face with Max and can't really do anything because he's a mind control villain. Yeah. I mean, I like that we still don't know what he's doing. That they actually have gotten close to him. The uh, I am still getting tired of whiny ice, but all the other characters are tired of whiny ice as well. So that's exactly. not so bad. Yeah, I am really enjoying this book. I I did not realize when I started picking it up just how long this miniseries was going to be. But the more I read it, the more I'm fine with it. I just have the the fear that it's going to be. A lot of those little side missions, like we didn't like the uh, the mission a couple issues ago when they went to into Checkmate. Right. I think they're probably going to have a lot of filler like that, and the, it could probably be condensed down into half the size it'll actually be. But this is the only book being published right now that has a good booster gold in it. So yeah, I'm definitely all on board for it, and I find it really interesting that the, even the characters are realizing that something's different about Booster. I mean, an issue or two ago, they all looked at each other and said, do you realize Booster's our team leader? <laughs> yeah, it's a good book. It's a good book. I mean, it's certainly been a little inconsistent, but I enjoyed this week's, enjoyed last week's, um, or last time's. Um, I'm, I'm getting it. I, I, I like this book. Moving on to the Batman update. <laughs> um, I got a, I got a, uh, I got a outpouring of uh, emails um, asking me to, because they were concerned after the end of last week's show, is Wayne going to fall off the wagon? You know, you're not a good, you're not a good buddy. You know, I got calls from the, from AA, which is like a, you know, a, a sister group asking me what the, what the hell's going on, and I want everybody to know Wayne has a little wooden token with the, with a spoiler symbol with a cross through it, like Ghostbusters. Uh, we've done everything we can. We 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 put them in detox. We got rid of all the <laughs> comics, and apparently Paul facilitated Batgirl fourteen. So you guys, uh, I hope I hope you're proud of yourselves. Hey right, Paul, are we proud of ourselves? I want to hear your take on it first before I go. Okay, so Batgirl number fourteen featuring Supergirl and Dracula, uh, terror in the third dimension. I I want to go on record. Uh, and I am on record. You can go back, uh, I guess, 14 months, roughly, and find that after reading Batgirl number one, I said, screw this book, I'm done. Um, but this one seemed interesting, this issue. Uh, so I thought I'd give it a shot. And I have to say, I enjoyed this I enjoyed this book. I did not enjoy it enough to keep reading it. Um, I, I thought it was a fun superhero book. I liked the way the characters interacted. I, I, I just I didn't enjoy it enough to keep reading a Batgirl after this issue. What'd you think, Wayne? Honestly, that was a pretty good way to put my thoughts on it. It was a fun issue. It was a nice one shot. I, however, might pick it up next week because it's going to tie in with the return of Bruce Wayne. 
It's I'm talking sure. about uh, Batgirl versus Bruce Wayne, the the way home. And as Bruce Wayne starts coming back, I'm going to be picking up a lot of Batman books during the course of that month. So I may pick up next month just because of that, not because of this particular issue. This issue was fun. I enjoyed it. It was great seeing both Supergirl and Batgirl because I like both characters and I'm not reading either one. I'm disgusted but, at your lack of willpower, Wayne. <laughs> it was well, not and, good enough to keep buying, though. Yeah, what what bugs me is um, at, people have people know I have voiced severe anger at Batman Streets of Gotham. Severe, severe, seething hate of a thousand flames anger um, with Batman Streets of Gotham. But the one love I have for it is Dustin Wen, the uh, the artist on the book. He takes over art chores on Batgirl starting with issue 15. And let me tell you, he's one of my favorite karmic artists right now. Karmic artists? Comic artists? Oh, they said karmic. Oh, no, comic. (laughs) Comic book artists. I thought Um, he said karmic, too. It's it's tempting to to pick up Batgirl number 15. But I, I just don't, you know, like I said, I enjoyed it, but I just, not enough to read this on a monthly basis. This is one of those books that you know, it, it doesn't set the world on fire. It's not like super great, and it doesn't suck. It's just there. It's the chick flick that your wife makes you watch that you're ashamed to admit wasn't really that bad. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but Wayne, you're the wife that made him watch it. God. Yeah, Wayne. <laughs> yeah. What's next? Letters to Juliet, Wayne? <laughs> hey, I didn't buy it with Paul's money this time. <laughs> this time. So what a shocker. It didn't set the world on fire, Paul. That's your view. Yeah. <laughs> Background number 14, not the next Watchmen. <laughs> what could go wrong with Batgirl, Supergirl, and Dracula on the cover? I have no idea. <laughs> well, you know, Tim isn't reading Batgirl, but he is reading Red Robin. And issue 16 came out this week, the the last issue before Bruce Wayne returns. Tim, actually, you think? actually, if you, if you look on that page, it's Bruce Way, W A Y E. Bruce Way returns in the Road Home Red Robin one. So I I don't know who Bruce Way is, but uh, oh I hope God. Red I hope Red <laughs> Robin punches him in the face. Um, I, I, aside from that, uh, I I love this book. Uh, it's not it's it's more of a continuation of Tim Drake and. Honestly, I, I see some growth in this character. He's talking about, you know, moving out of the Bat Cave, finding his own place to live, um, kind of trying to let go of the past. I I, I dug it. The art stays the same. Marcus Toe, you are the man. Uh, but uh, yeah, so c- good book, solid book. I, I'm loving this series. It's one of the few DC series that uh, has captured my interest for more than a couple issues. Paul, what do you think? Oh, you know, I, I, I really do love it. Uh, I, Red Robin is going to be on my pull list as long as they keep it on. As long as they keep this creative team on, I should say. Because, you know, if they put uh, the writer of Batgirl on it, I'll probably jump out. But um, I, I do. I love the book. I, you're right. There is growth. A lot has happened in the 16 issues of Red Robin. And I think the same can be true of every book in the Batman universe, other than Batgirl, <clears throat> is that there's been a lot changing over the last year. Um, and I don't know if Bruce Wayne coming back is going to derail the change and set us back to status quo. Um, from what I've read, 
I, I think we're in for even more changes. And, you know, that's kind of cool. You know, there's so much that, you know, f- there's so much fake change in comics nowadays that an ever-evolving cast um, doesn't happen, especially in a character as big as Batman. But we've seen the evolution of a lot of characters in the last year, like Dick Grayson and Damian Wayne and, you know, Tim Drake, that I, I've, I've enjoyed being in that universe, despite, you know, Graham Morrison. Yeah, and if and if those changes stay, like you're saying, and they continue, and there's even some friction with, with Bruce Wayne coming back, those will be interesting stories. Exactly. I'm just hoping they don't hit the reset button. Well, and I don't want to ruin anyone who – well, I mean, it's in solicitation, so it's kind oh, of – Oh, hold on. Microphone off. All right. <laughs> All right, so Tim's gone. It's already been revealed that once Bruce Wayne comes back, there will be two Batman. Dick Grayson will be heading up Batman. It will be the Batman of Gotham City. Bruce Wayne will be a traveling Batman who sets up like an international network of uh, uh, Batman type heroes. Vigilantes. Oh, that sounds like that sucks. Yeah, it does. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm pretty I, I, nervous about it. I would have done it the other way around. I would, I would have to. Bruce Wayne would be, but would is the better. I mean, he's the guy who's dedicated to Gotham. You know, I mean, he's the guy who his origin sets him up as uh, you know being committed to Gotham. I wow, that sounds yeah. awful. Well, I think at least we will have multiple options um, for reading because certain Batman books will be Dick Grayson and Damian Wayne as Robin. And then there will be other Batman books that are Bruce Wayne, you know, setting up Batman Inc. is the the name of the new title. Um, So, you know, I I think there will be that option, at least. So if you're not into both stories, you can only follow one, which will be nice for a while because, you know, I'm sure eventually it'll change. But I have to say what I was hoping was going to come out of, uh, you know, the return of Bruce Wayne would be that I'd get Nightwing back. I miss Nightwing. I love that character. And I just – I hate that you know he's been co-opted into a Batman costume. I mean it, it was kind of my my thinking around Captain America. If Steve Rogers is back, Steve Rogers really ought to have the shield. Do something else with Bucky. I don't need – you know if you're, if you're going to keep the, the, the main character alive, let him do his thing. Go do something else with Bucky. Go do something else with Dick Grayson. I, I, I just I really I dislike it. I mean, if you're going to have balls to actually make a lasting change, kill off Bruce Wayne, kill off Steve Rogers, have new characters. But nobody's got the guts to do that. Nope. I don't know. I, I'm curious to see what happens when Bruce Wayne comes back. You know, like I said, at least I can buy those, you know, those books, and it won't necessarily derail the Damian Wayne, Dick Grayson stuff. So, you know, th- there'll be two separate storylines. So, I mean. Yeah, it's not the best idea in the world, but I'm going to give it a shot. And that actually brings me to Batman 703, and I've told Tim that he can now put his headset back on. You know, we were talking about Red Robin, and I think fans of Red Robin should buy Batman 703. Um, Originally, it was solicited, solicited, I think, being written by David Hine, maybe? I don't know. It was supposed to to be written by somebody else. They had to drop out. So at the last minute, Fabian Nicieza... And Cliff Richards came in. You know, Fabian Nicieza is the guy who writes Red Robin. So you get the flavor of a Red Robin book in Batman 703. Um, You know, you get a substantial appearance by Red Robin, as well as the Damian Wayne characterization 
that you get in the Red Robin book. So if you're enjoying Red Robin, I recommend picking up Batman 703. Uh, I will say the art didn't blow me away, but a lot of the story threads that are set up in Red Robin around Vicky Vale and some of the other characters, you know, um, you know, tie into this issue of Batman. So if you're enjoying Red Robin, I do recommend picking up the issue. It is a good book, and it's, uh, you know, like I said, I enjoyed it just as much as I enjoyed Red Robin. Paul, do you know how long Nache is going to stay on there? Is it just the one issue? It's just the one issue. It's just the okay. fill-in issue. Um, you know, because next month is The Road Home. All Bat books wow. are skipping next month because uh, they're, they're The Road Home tie-ins. And then the following month, they'll come back with their new creative teams. And the new creative team on Batman is actually, it's one guy. It's Tony Daniels doing the, the writing and art. There's no interesting way to transition or explain why Aaron bought Doom Patrol number 14 this week. But he did. Well, there is a there there is an explanation. When I was when I was going through my pulls and you know defining my list for the week, I saw the cover which had you know Chief tearing off his shirt and he's got you know the Superman costume on beneath. So that of course intrigued me enough to read what the book was going to be about. And the uh, summary or the the tease on the book was that he has a. Uh, Kryptonian in custody that he's been experimenting on, you know, from the the the, the new Krypton storyline and the the war between the Kryptonians and 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 uh, Earth. He has figured out a way to steal the Kryptonian powers under our Yellow Sun, so he becomes Super Chief. And I was intrigued enough to pick it up. Doom Patrol is a book I have always had trouble with, no matter who's writing it, no matter who's drawing it. I never can seem to get into the characters. And it always seems like a book that I want to read. Uh, in particularly, you know, Robot Man is a character, you know, just the look of him intrigues me. Um, but the, the book is just always weird. I mean, all these characters are, are so very broken, and they're manipulated by Chief – in every incarnation of this book, you know, and this 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 series has been around for years, and for me, you would think that at some point somebody would, you know, crush Chief's skull and say, you know, stop playing your little head games with us and move on. But these guys never do that. These guys are always in the same sort of beat, and that's true in this book. Uh, the difference in this book is that you know Chief has stolen Superman-like powers. And, of course, nothing is going to go wrong with that. I mean, this is a brilliant idea. Um, But, of course, something does go wrong. And Chief becomes very Kryptonian in his outlook. You know, like, you know, everyone around me is puny. I need to, uh, you know, correct this. He's starting to speak in Kryptonian. It kind of reminds me a little bit of the Eradicator. But uh, the art was very pretty in this book. Um, The story really sucked. Um, I did not care for the characters at all. Um, and it's not; it wasn't enough to keep me coming back, even though uh, the artwork is awfully pretty. Uh, I just it's it, it, I, there is something about Doom Patrol that I just don't like, and I, and I think it's it's the uh, the emotional brokenness of each of the characters that I find unappealing, and the fact that despite the, the fact this book has been around at least thirty years, um, that they've never seemed to have moved past that. You know why they haven't moved past that, Aaron? Because there's no innovation in comics. No, because they're doomed. <laughs> I suppose that's something. <laughs> I think that hurt to listen to. A little bit. 
Whatever. So speaking of things that, uh, speaking of past that were doomed to repeat, uh, Paul and Wayne are reading Spider-Man. Yeah. yeah, moving into our Marvel new release spotlight. Two Spider-Man books came out this week due to a shipping error. So we get the conclusion of One Moment in Time in Spider-Man 641 and the start of Origin of the Species in Spider-Man 642. And I suckered Wayne into starting to buy Spider-Man again. Yep. So um, I- I'm going to let you go first. I'm very curious to hear what you thought about the end of One Moment in Time. Okay. And we definitely need to break these up into the two books because I have very different opinions on the two books. Yeah, I do too. Uh, I enjoyed the end of One Moment in Time. I thought this would have been a much better way to for them to have originally dealt with that whole situation instead of the horrible you know, deal with Mephisto that they did. Um, I don't buy some of Mary Jane's interactions with him. I don't think that she would, someone who proclaims to still be in love with him so much, would come back and tell him, you should move on and find someone new. I just have a really hard time accepting that. But the art is beautiful in this book. The writing is incredible. The characters actually, you actually care about them. The way they did the uh, the mind wipe is how I thought they would originally do it, using Doctor Strange as well as Reed Richards and Tony to, you know, basically to do this. Um, there's a continuity issue there, though. They talk about how they've done this for Century in the past, yes. which was established during the Century miniseries, but was retconned when they brought Century back in New Avengers. In New Avengers, they said that Century did it himself, and it was his own powers doing that because of uh, Mastermind messing with him. So they kind of went against that here, but I like the miniseries better than what they've done with Sentry since then. So I'm fine with that. But yeah, I really enjoyed this. this. I will buy One Moment in Time when it comes out in trade, because this was a solid Spider-Man story, even though it's dealing with something that I hate, which was the getting rid of the marriage. Yeah, and uh, I'll agree. One Moment in Time was exactly how it should have been done in the first place. Exactly. Um, other than dissolving the marriage, which, let's be honest, didn't lend anything to the story. Uh, it, it was good. It made sense because that's how they explained, uh, you know, the the new brand new day thing. But the way that it, it pans out, it, it would have worked even if had they stayed married, you know, and just needed a break because of all that was going on. And, yeah, you know, I mean, and rather than her telling him to move on, I, I think she should have said, you know, that she just needs a break because of all that's happened in the last year, you know, and, and it just kind of it, it maybe finally broke her, and you know that I would have understood more than the Mephisto thing. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't even have been the first time they haven't been together the entire time they've been married. She has needed a break from him, and they did that for like a year. Yeah, so I mean, I, I have to say, one moment in time was was great i really really dug it the art was beautiful it's definitely worth reading um it's just it's frustrating it's a frustrating reading experience because that it's kind of how things should have been done in the first place yeah i was excited after reading this like okay okay. they've made spider-man good again i'm ready to keep reading this title and then 642 (laughs) 642 uh, okay i have to say something about 642 Story-wise, I didn't hate it, but that art... I didn't uh, even realize that was supposed to be Peter Parker until they actually say his name. The art is so bad. It doesn't look like him. The art looks like something that, you know, 
I don't even want to say a 12-year-old could have drawn this because a 12-year-old, that's insulting 12-year-olds everywhere. <laughs> and I, I gotta it, did say, it look like Peter Porker instead of Peter Parker? <laughs> that would no, have been more recognizable. Like, I don't even know what he looked like. Woody Allen. It was just... It, the And this is the same artist who did that Grim Hunt storyline that I love so much. I think it is, anyway. Um, I've seen other books with art by this arter, artist, Paul Azaketa, I think, um, that I enjoyed, but they're all darker books. Whereas this storyline, Origin of the Species, is big superhero action. I guess it's like a Sinister Six type thing. Um, and the art does not work at all. No, I mean, and the story I didn't think was that strong of a story either. I know you said you enjoyed the story. This was, uh, it was written by Mark Wade, which I am a big fan of, even though, as we discussed earlier, he said he's done with super, with reading superhero books, at least. But the story was, maybe it was the art that hit it. The story came off as overly cheesy to me. And I still have a problem with Mary Jane's reactions and actions in here. I can't see someone who's, you know, proclaimed to be in love with him. She wants him to move on to be happy, but she still has no problem sitting there and telling him how wonderful this other girl is. I don't buy that. Yeah. Well, I think, and again, the, the brand new day stuff is supposedly wrapping up after this storyline. So I don't know how the, how it's going to work after that. Um, but I, I didn't hate the story. I, I will say, I didn't think the story was strong. Um, I mean, literally, here's what happens in the book. Peter's broke, but he he goes on a date anyway, and Dr. Octopus just happens to want someone who is in the diner and is in the in the coffee shop. So, you know, there's all sorts of action that happens from there. And so the story, there, there's really not much there other than a thin thread. It's um, like the character hasn't evolved in any way in the last 20 to 30 years. In one moment in time, we saw the Peter that has grown and is a different person. Now we're going back to this could have been a Stan Lee story, only with better art back then. I mean, it is the typical. He has no money. He's trying to sell his camera because he can't afford his rent. And all of his clothes get sold because he can't afford his rent. And, oh, now it's time for a date where everything falls apart because he's Peter Parker. Haven't we yeah. grown past this with the character? Apparently not, because that was the whole point of One More Day, was to bring that back. Well, and what's weird is, I've been reading Spider-Man for, like, what, about two, three months now, the last couple of storylines. And I've enjoyed it, because they haven't really focused on the supporting cast, or, or that much. Um, so, like, I didn't even know that he was unemployed, and that he had doctored a photo, and any of that. I mean, none of that has come up in the last couple of storylines, at all. I mean, you read One Moment in Time, and none of that was even referenced in that story. No, because so One Moment it, in Time was a good story, and this wasn't. Yeah, so it's just kind of iffy. Um, I am going to buy uh, the next issue, anyway, 643. Um, and if it sucks, then I'll, then I'll wait till the next storyline, because uh, I, I do want to pick up um, uh, the, I guess it's called Big Time, which is the, the post-brand-new-day universe. I'm out unless they get a new artist. If they get a new artist, I might take another look. But basically, they gave me the carrot of one moment in time that I actually really enjoyed. They got me all psyched up, and then they kicked me in the balls with 642. I'm done with them. They have they have teased there being good Spider-Man stories too many times and then not delivered. 
Marvel, so, you kicked Wayne in the balls. <laughs> <laughs> so, Aaron, I didn't realize this before, but let's 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 review the facts. Wayne talked Paul into buying Batgirl. Uh-huh. Paul talked Wayne into buying Amazing Spider-Man. They're buying Darkwing Duck together, for Christ's sakes. Uh-huh. We have to break up this toxic relationship. <laughs> we're going to have to start Darkwing, moving some decks. You know, Darkwing so Duck is an incredible book, book that stands on its own. Its own. That's right, and that's exactly why you're moving over to this part of the classroom next to Aaron's desk and the giant seven-foot statue of Ron Mars, and we're going to put Paul in the corner with Bitch Wayne and that that blank desk for the associate that must not be named. That's right. He never comes to class anyway. That's right. He can cheat off Paul and get a D minus. Yeah. (laughs) But there is a new artist coming on after the storyline, so, you know. I I will I will keep it going. I just um, I was very disappointed because I was really looking forward to this storyline, and it just kind of meh. So here's not something, even meh, just crap. Here's something I don't understand. Um, Spider Man is Marvel's flagship character. I don't understand why they're not showing Spider Man more love. Why aren't they Why aren't they putting good creative teams on that book? He should have the best artist they have if he's no, their I flagship agree. character, and, and he, he doesn't. Yeah, and and he is their flagship character. I know that a lot of attention is being paid to you know Iron Man, Thor, and the Avengers right now because of the movies that are coming up. But at the end of the day, Spider Man's where it's at for Marvel. And I think what the issue is, honestly, with Spider Man is that it's a weekly book or a, you know a, a three times a month book, and it's hard to get creative you know uh, strong creative talent on that. You know that, that could put out three books a month. Yeah. No matter how early they they start the book. Right. Um. You know. So it, it, it's just kind of tricky. Um. And the the writers. I mean, they they've had Joe Kelly, Mark Wade. The writers haven't been horrible. Um. Dan Slott. But you know the art on this on this particular issue was weak. But like I said, I enjoyed the last two storylines tremendously. Um. So you know I. I uh, I'm looking, like I said, I'm just looking forward to when the book goes. It's going to go bi-weekly um, after Brand New Day, and it's going to have a single writer, Dan Slott, and there will be rotating artists, um, Humberto Ramos and Stefano Caselli, who used to be the artist on Avengers The Initiative at the beginning, mm-hmm. um, both of which I'm big fans of. So yeah. I, I'm hoping that, you know, that, that the book will maintain a consistent quality and feel, which is the biggest thing about that, you could what we two books, two Spider-Man books came out in the same week. One was tremendously great. The other one, the other one sucked. You know, and it physically hurts me to say that the one that was tremendously great is the one that Joe Quesada was writing. As much as I disagree with that guy, as much as I think he's made horrible decisions, the guy can write and the guy can draw. His comic work is always top notch. I just don't like his editorial decisions. Well, you know what. At least Spider-Man isn't bisexual. He would like, only be more awesome if he were. He would. I mean, just like, just think about those great love scenes that you could have between Spider-Man and Flash Thompson. You know, and Black then you Cat find out. Well, and you find out that the whole reason that Flash Thompson gave him crap back in high school was because he secretly loved Peter Parker. I think I just threw up in my mouth a little bit there. Yeah. <laughs> it's, the, it's, it's the hot and cold relationship he has with Johnny Storm, too. Oh, yeah. Hot and cold. That, that could yeah. be the name of the storyline. Yeah. <laughs> Get on that, Tim. <laughs> All right. The, the bisexual adventures of the Spider-Man. No hyphen Spider-Man. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> 
speaking of bisexuals, Doc and Dark Wolverine came out this week. Um, the first issue of the new, I guess, ongoing, uh, starring the character who was in the Dark Wolverine series. And uh, I think a couple of us were, were pretty hyped about this book, so I'm curious to hear what Aaron had to say about it. Has to say about it. Okay, I really liked this book, but but I was confused by the first couple of pages. the 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 opening page where you know Wolverine fifty years ago is stumbling out of a bar, and uh, you know somebody is got him in his sniper rifle sights, and then Dakin appears behind this person and says, you know, not like this, not now. We'll do this later. How old is Dakin? He, you didn't read the backup feature, did you? No, I didn't. He was born in 1946. Okay. So he ages slowly like Wolverine. Okay. I didn't realize he'd been around that long. Okay. That makes sense then. But I sat there going, this is strange. Cause I, I just assumed that he was, uh, more like what he appears to be thirty years old or so, but uh, I can live with that then. I um I actually really dug this book. Um, this is the type of storytelling with Dokken that I really like. Mm-hmm. I had an issue with how much it tied into the Wolverine Goes to Hell stuff. You know, going back to what I was saying earlier about how you know even you know books that seem like they should be self-contained have to do with some larger crossover. You know. This I actually read Wolverine number one. I didn't talk about it on the show because I didn't think it was good enough um, or bad enough to really warrant discussion. But some of the events in this book, like uh, the Mystique appearance, mm-hmm. that ties into Wolverine number one. And I, I don't want this to tie into that book because I don't want to continue buying Wolverine. Well, you know, uh, I saw the Wolverine Goes to Hell banner across the top, but as somebody who's not reading – Either of the the other two Wolverine books, you know, X uh, twenty three or Wolverine, I didn't see the connections. Did you have any issues with the the references to you know that that storyline? I mean, I guess you I, didn't see them as I, references to the storyline. Exactly, line. I had no idea what those references were. But did they? But because of that, did that take you out of the story? Like, what are no. they talking about? No, I, I mean, I was. I didn't want to read the pages and pages of text back up at the at the uh, end of the book, which I guess explains some stuff about the character that I don't know. Um, I, I I personally think that a lot of those text backups um, are there for lazy writing. <laughs> um, I think everything I need to know needs to be included within the actual comic storytelling itself, and a lot of times it's it's difficult for me to make that transition between you know pages and pages of text when I'm in the mood to read a comic book, which is graphic storytelling. And hey, if we could actually embrace graphic storytelling, that would be great. But I I, I love the book. I was very entertained by it. I, I love how uh, there's such a dichotomy in this character between you know it's almost like he's got a noble self and a very dark self, and 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 I, I dig that. I like that about him. Yeah, I, I I love Dokken as a character. I just I hope that this isn't going to constantly be tied into other titles because I really don't want that. Yeah, it would no. be nice to see him stand on his own, and and if they can, if keep, they it, can keep it li- like the way it seemed to me, I I wasn't catching that tie-in. So if they can keep it kind of invisible, I think that's great. No, the tie-ins is what killed the last few issues of uh, Wolverine with Dokken starring uh, in it. Exactly. Um, so what do you think of this issue, Tim? Uh, I, I'm going to mirror a lot of what you guys said. I, I enjoyed I, the book. 
the uh, the the references didn't bother me because I didn't really. I thought maybe they were planting seeds for what's going to happen in the future of this book. But if it's not, then I think I'm okay to ignore it as long as it doesn't get too ham-fisted. Mm-hmm. So, what do you guys think of the new costume? Kind of sucks, honestly. I think so too. I don't care for the for the little waist piece he has. I mean, it almost looks like he's wearing bandages. I, I want to know why he went to a world-renowned fashion designer. <laughs> hey, design that it's just a black costume with a hood. Paul, sometimes a boy wants to feel pretty. I guess, but you know, <laughs> Alfred, a fucking butler, <laughs> put together a nicer costume than hey, that. A freaking British butler. <laughs> you know, all those English guys are a little light in the loafers. You know, they're a little fabulous. <laughs> so yeah, uh, apologies to all English butlers that are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we've lost our entire British butler demographic now. I don't know what we're going to do without them. You know, so and I, 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 I liked, uh, I, I liked Dakin dark, dark Wolverine. Um, it's, it'll be on my pull list. It will be on mine too. I, I, I'm just concerned. Cause I'm looking at next issues uh-huh. description and it, it ties into Wolverine going to hell. Did you okay. really think that doc wouldn't be involved in sending Wolverine cell to hell? I hoped yeah, you know, so it's like, do I really have, you know, I, I don't want to read Wolverine. I, I would just want to read Dokken, and I want to read about Dokken. You know, I'm, I, you know, we talked, we talked about event fatigue. I, I'm, I'm event fatigued out, or evented out. Yeah. So it, if I can enjoy Dokken, Dark Wolverine two, on its own merits, I will continue reading the book. Yeah. Um. I wonder if the writers see it like I do, that he's just a cheap Wolverine ripoff that can't stand on his own without the character that he was spawned from. You I can go back to Danny... hugging your Stephanie Meyer blow-up doll now, Wayne. They only made this. <laughs> wow. It'd be a big blow-up doll. Yeah, uh, I've got the same problem with X-23. I don't think she is strong enough to be her own character either. I've never liked either character and they both just struck me as a Wolverine is popular. Let's make someone that's not quite Wolverine, but like Wolverine so we can have another book and then let's throw Wolverine in it. Yeah. It's the same thing with Batgirl. Yeah. And spider. I really, I really like this docking character. I do. I don't, I think he's very much different than Wolverine. I think he's I just never liked the character. I mean, I read the original story where they brought him in in Wolverine Origins, and I hated him there. And that's kind of cemented my hate for him. I just haven't enjoyed him in anything since. I have to say, I didn't read the story that introduced him. I only really got into Dokken when Wolverine became Dark Wolverine. And that's when Daniel Way and Marjorie Liu took over the writing. Mm-hmm. And I, I have really dug the way he's portrayed. Um, you know, it's he, he is... A really unique. I know you say he's you know just a, a, an imitation Wolverine, but I think he's honestly probably the one one of the most unique characters in comics today. I think he's more interesting than Wolverine. Yeah, I yeah. agree with you. But you know what also is interesting? New Avengers number four, the only Avengers book you need to read. Period. <laughs> the yeah. only Avengers book you really should be reading because, damn, unless you want to waste another eight dollars a month. <laughs> I, I got to tell you, number four did not disappoint. 
thoroughly enjoyed it. And wow, the artwork was off the hook. I, it was the first book I read this week, and it was outstanding. I got to say, speaking on the artwork, Stuart Amonin, he can draw the hell out of a book. Yeah. His cover work sucks. It needs some work. I didn't like the cover for this book. I don't like the cover that they have for next issue. I, I come to think of it, I didn't like. I haven't liked any of the covers for this series. I'm trying to find the cover. Oh, with Wolverine and the Eye of Agamotto on his forehead. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I thought the pose was a little weird for Spider-Man on the on the cover of this book, but I didn't think it was a sucky cover. I just didn't think it was great. But, yeah, but God, it's a the, cover, you know. Yeah. But the interiors are amazing, and that splash page with. Uh, uh, you know the the second page that's got the double page uh, uh, layout with Spider Man and Ms Marvel is beautiful. I just every page is just fantastic in this book. And again, best Doctor Strange story I've read in a long time. And you want to know why Doctor Strange is awesome? Because he rocks the mustache. <laughs> he does rock the stash. Yeah. I gotta I, say, I dig the look of Iron Fist, the the white costume Iron Fist. Oh, is I think that it looks pretty. pretty awesome. Wow, it's awesome. That was pretty. He needs to keep it. He, he looks fancy. Shadowland doesn't have him that way, but he looked pretty fancy. And you know what? He didn't get a gay British designer to to, to, to <laughs> design his clothes, did he? <laughs> he got the ancient one. Yeah. <laughs> well, and everybody knows that the ancient one is fabulous. <laughs> I thought he was Neil Adams. <laughs> um, but yeah, book of the week again. Uh, yeah. There, there was a little bit less laughs in this book, but that's okay because they were building up to stuff, and there, there were some laugh out loud moments. Um, the fact that Luke Cage's mother in law is mad at him for this demon invasion. That's <laughs> yeah, yeah, I thought that was hysterical. <laughs> the, the little husband wife conversations that go on, and him, you know, reminding her on how to be a superhero now that she's back in the game. Uh, I really dig it. Really dig it. I just I and it it's not just Bendis's writing on the book and and the voices of these characters that make it fantastic. It's Amonin's pencils that just rock this thing. I mean, you know, a lot of guys would draw, you know, the 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 mystical storm that's happening in the air and you just go, "Man, that's that's a bunch of junk." But there is so much energy in each of those panels. Mhm. I, I just love it. I just love it. Hey, book of the week myself, which is saying something because Thanos Imperative came out this week, and I thoroughly enjoyed Thanos Imperative number four. I did too. Thoroughly enjoyed it. And, you know, I am rarely one to agree with Ain't It Cool News, but their blurb on the cover I, I am in total agreement w- with. It says, unbelievably incredible and unimaginably entertaining in all the right ways. It is why we read comics. And I have said many times when we're talking about Thanos Imperative that this is exactly the kind of book that got me into comics. You know, yeah, I this... might not have known everybody that was on the page when I started reading comics, but it was the kind of thing that made me want to go out and find out who these guys were because I enjoyed what was going on on the page. Yeah, and this issue wasn't quite the um, grand action. Well, I mean, it's full of action, but it wasn't quite on the grand scale mm-hmm. that uh, the last couple of issues were, you know, with the, the Celestials fighting in space right. and stuff like that. Yeah, this, this was, was more of a you know this, a self-contained. 
Yeah, fights. well, this was this was Nova's strike team going in to uh, you know retrieve Namorita and you know having an actual direct confrontation with Lord Marvell. So it was a lot of action. It was just a little bit more tight and and more on a on a human level than this fantastical celestial level kind of thing. Yeah, the um, and I, I gotta say, Nova Strike Team kick ass. They yeah. did. I mean, you know, it was they they didn't even sweat. They're just like they just come in and they just <laughs> kick ass. And well, I mean, you've got not hesitating at all. You've got Beta Ray Bill, Gladiator, Silver Surfer, Ronan, Nova himself, and Quasar. <laughs> I mean, I, I love that scene where uh, you know, Name Rita's like, yeah, you guys are in a lot of trouble. My boyfriend's on his way. <laughs> well, and when um, who's the guy with the cape? Uh, gladiator. Or gladiator Quasar. is that Gladiator? Gladiator's like, the guy with the mohawk and the cape, and then Quasar is the guy with the blonde hair and the cape. Yeah, uh, Gladiator says engineering decks will be cleared and secured in three minutes, and Nova goes, "Is that a guesstimate?" And <laughs> Gladiator goes, "A cast iron guarantee." And you see, there's like all this, these tons of villains, and they're like, "Yeah, it'll be done in three minutes. Don't worry." Yeah. Yeah, I mean these guys are badass through the book, and even Silver Surfer's kind of talking shit in the in the in this book. Yeah, which is unusual because I mean I don't I don't know what the current status quo of Silver Surfer is, mm-hmm. but you know he, he he did he was really kind of cool in this book. Yeah, he was, and I'd like to see more of that. You know, I'd like I'd like to see more of a uh, of a uh, you know colorful Silver Surfer. Yeah, because he, the only reason I don't like Silver Surfer is he seems so whiny all the time. Well, yeah, he's he's all, he's very emo, and I, I yeah. can't be, I can't bear the emo uh, Silver Surfer. But he is he is sparkly. He is sparkly. Team Silver Surfer. This book was so much fun. I, I I'm really getting a kick out of it. I'm I'm uh, worried that you know there's only two issues left because I'm enjoying it so much. I, 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 what am I going to do for my for my uh, Thanos imperative fix? You know, tell me Marvel that there will be cosmic books after this series wraps up because this thing is awesome. And I saw that number three went to second printing, so I mean yeah. I think that's a good sign. All the first three issues have all had multiple printings, so uh, I think that is a really good sign. Yeah, I'm just concerned because they they keep referring to this book as the end of Marvel's cosmic universe storyline or something like that. Yeah, and I don't and, understand um, that. Yeah, unless they're going to kill all of these characters, I don't want to see all of these great characters just go nowhere. Yeah. Um, I think they could have a top-selling book, honestly, if they just made a Cosmic Avengers book. And, you know, just I agree. put Avengers on the book and people will buy it. Yeah. Just yeah. call it Cosmic Avengers. As long as you've got Abnett and Landing on it and this art team, uh, I think you'll be fine. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Don't don't screw it up like and, you did with some of the other art teams. And we need to turn that rocket raccoon level to eleven. Just yeah, he, he didn't have much to do in this book. Yeah, he really didn't. And that was that's really my only uh, my only objection is that y- you don't get to see much of uh, Rocket Raccoon in this book. Yeah, you know. And I don't want the Thanos imperative to end, but Jesus Christ, am I glad the Hell storyline in Thor is over as of this issue. <laughs> Oh, my God. You know, Paul, <laughs> this was four issues long. Probably should have been three. I think it was four issues for the trade. Could have been two. I, I don't disagree. I don't disagree. I think it was stretched for the trade. And to give Matt Fraction time to, you know, get liquored up enough to write Thor. Yeah, now you're hitting on what happened. 
Man for action. Okay, so Paul, did you notice it? Did you did you notice Balder uh, uh, standing at the table with Kelda? Did you notice what was on the table, Paul? Uh, scan of map of oh my god! <laughs> Again, I did not notice that. Marvel editorial earns their paycheck by leaving a, 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 an image in the book with an editorial note that says scan of map of Asgard. Wow. I, I'm glad I'm not getting that book. I, I, <laughs> I, I was like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> I mean, seriously. I got to say. And Kieran Gillen, I, I love the guy. I love the oh, guy. Yeah. He's a nice guy, great guy. These four issues of Thor were freaking horrible, absolutely horrible. I did like one thing about this book, though, Paul, and that was the Kelda payoff. I didn't quite understand what was going on there. Yeah, you need to explain it to me because I must be slow, too. Okay. Since that's the only thing I was really caring about – you know, on these uh, any of those issues before stopping the whole hell storyline, I'm kind of curious, too. Okay, so you remember uh, uh, Kelda was killed by Doctor Doom uh, prior to the Siege of Asgard, right? Yep. And so Loki approached, you know, said, you know, I can, I can help her. I can, I can bring Kelda back. Yada yada. After they had brought back the various pieces of her heart or or something. What we didn't see in that mystical exchange between Loki and Kelda was, you know, they had gone off into this astral plane and Loki is looking at all the things that are happening and he's worried about, you know, some very dark characters, which the, the, the Deezer, um, that would come along that they wouldn't have the strength to fight or defeat. Um, and as we saw, the the Deezer were you know overwhelming Asgard, overwhelming you know their dead, overwhelming Tyr, the god of the god of war, who was a little scared of fighting. I uh, really maybe I should go with Thor. Thor, yeah, I don't hand. know if I can handle this. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so what Loki devises is that he needs to fashion a weapon that will help fight the Deezer. And to do that, he needs a piece of Kelda's spirit, which is her innocence, her purity. And, you know, he, he genuinely, he says, you know, um, uh, you know, I pray that what I have done doesn't lead to any mischief. But if the memories ever return, know this. I'm sorry, Kelda. If I could, I would make this sacrifice myself. But purity of spirit was never amongst my merits. And so he had taken her purity, which is why um, – Kelda's not seemed quite right in these four issues, and we've we've seen her decide that you know Baldur's got to die. Baldur's the guy that that sent uh, Bill to his death, her uh, her boyfriend, and so she was she was uh, tooling a uh, a way to kill Baldur. And so Thor comes running in with the sword that's been fashioned from her purity and stabs her right in the chest, uh, right before she gets to kill Baldur, and that's when we all of this is revealed to us. So she has her purity back? No. And I, and I wonder if maybe she – if the sword can be broken. I don't know if she's got her purity back or not. Because yeah, she's not dead. She's you know, no. still talking at the end of the issue. And you don't see the sword after that. So maybe she does have it back. Maybe it's been restored to her. I don't know. Yeah, you know, 
I thought the first issue had a lot of promise of the mm-hmm. of the Karen Gillan run. I really did. Yeah. But I think there's a couple of factors that went against it. Um, the first one was obviously he had to stretch the story. Yeah. Yeah. It was. Yeah. I'll, I'll, yeah. yeah, yeah it pretty. did feel stretched. It felt very stretched. But I did. Yeah. I did enjoy the Kel to pay off. Well, now that you explain it. Not bad. I get it. Now. <laughs> um, but I got to say, the best things, the best books of Kieran Gillen's run on Thor were the ones where he wrapped up JMS's yes. stuff. Because um, the Siege tie-in, you know, it was a Siege. It was a tie-in. And then these books, you know, which felt like last-minute filler. Um, and and, and I, I don't fault Kieran Gillen for that. I felt like he got thumped to, to fill four issues. No, I agree. At, at probably a very short notice. But how about the preview page for next issue? Ain't that party? The 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 cover? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to give it a shot. Don't disappoint me, Fraction. Now, have you seen that we have yet another Thor title hitting next week? Yeah. Really? Yeah. We've got uh, Thor First Thunder, which is retelling his origin story. And the second issue of For Asgard, yep. supposedly. So, I mean, it, there's a ton of Thor out there to read. Thor shocks me because I don't think there's enough sales to warrant one book, much less nine or ten different Thor books a month. I, I know they're trying, to, they're trying to build up hype for the movie is what they're trying to do. I have a theory. We can barely handle one month. Let's saturate the market till no one cares anymore. See, and I don't think it's about that. I don't think it's about saturating the market with floppies. I think they're, they're cranking it out now so that they can have trades in Barnes & Nobles and Borders stores when Thor hits. Then why not just release them as graphic novels? Because they want to make their money twice. That's a good point. Well, you know, honestly, I think it could support a monthly, and I think it could support uh, like the, uh, you know, the Rage of Thor. Like uh-huh. once every six months or four months, you know, a, a part of a one shot that has loose ties. I think right. that would be acceptable. But yeah. I don't know. Well, well I, I would th- be okay with a, an ongoing and an ongoing series of miniseries. Not necessarily like a Legends yeah. of the Dark Knight, but just there's always two Thor books a month. Yeah, That's okay with me because you don't have to buy every miniseries. Some of them can be tied together. Some don't have to be, that kind of thing. You know, that I'm okay with, but... I think there's like 11 Thor books this month. It's a lot of Thor. Yeah. Well, our final book this week is X-Men number three, um, which is our Curse of the Mutants uh, update. Wayne is still reading this, and uh, I think this is the only book of the Curse of the Mutants saga that Wayne is reading. So yep, what do you think no of time. X-Men number three, Wayne? You know, the story wasn't bad, but I have to say the ending pissed me off. So yeah, A little bit. Yeah, I mean, basically you're reading through this. I like the whole Jubilee being turned into a vampire thing because I think that actually could be interesting for the character if they kept it. But you know when she bites Wolverine and turns him into a vampire that that's not going to stick. They're not going to leave him a vampire, which means there's obviously going to be a cure to all of this and suddenly negates the all tension in the story at this point. See, I don't care about the story. Anymore. though. Maybe, maybe he's become a vampire, but his healing factor will eventually knock it out of his system. It reminded me of the old What If Wolverine Was Lord of the Vampires from What If. That was a really good story that I don't think they're going to go anywhere near there. No, this. I don't think so anywhere. Um, I, I, I have to say, I'm enjoying Curse of the Mutants. 
I did enjoy this issue. I mean, you know, Wolverine battling vampires in the sewers underneath San Francisco. That was a that was some pretty cool stuff. Yeah, I enjoyed the um, issue all the way until the end. It's just the ending that pissed me off. Yeah, uh, you know, and and the but I have to say I'm actually enjoying the tie-ins more than I'm enjoying the Central X Men book. Um, you know, some of the last couple of weeks have had some really fantastic tie-ins um, that I felt were better than this issue. But that's not to say this was a bad issue. Like we said, we enjoyed it. Um, and you know, it, 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 yeah, Wolverine won't be a vampire come the end of the storyline. But you know, there's three issues left in this storyline, at least as far as X Men are concerned. And I'd be okay with a vampire Wolverine for one or two issues. That would be kind of badass. My fear is that they're going to start turning all of the characters into vampires the next issue or so. That we're going to see a whole army of these people that are just going to end up getting cured. Yeah, but I mean, that's comic books. Hmm. <laughs> that's X-Men. <laughs> you know, I mean, by the end, it's always going to go back to status quo. That's what Alan Moore's talking about. <laughs> And that, that's why this felt like an insult. I mean, you read the last page. He's turned into a vampire. Everyone knows this isn't going to be permanent. So what's the point? It's like slapping the readers in the face and saying, you know, hey, here's a change. that doesn't matter in any way. This isn't going to stick. Buy our books. Comics to begin with, there's always some type of threat, and you know the hero's going to pull out in the end. That's that's how it's Ju- supposed to work. That's and just that's certain ex- characters like Jubilee, where you actually you can see this sticking. She's not a big enough character for her to you know be untouchable like Wolverine. I'm following your logic, Wayne. If they if they turn characters that are fringe characters, that would have the same that would ha- wouldn't have the same story impact but it have a story impact and you would be questioning and reading next issue to see well if is that person going to be a permanent mutant vampire exactly because that'd be kind of cool you know and i gotta say what i'm hoping comes out of curse of the mutants is that victor gishler will write some type of ongoing series set in the vampire lore of the marvel universe because that's what I've really enjoyed most about Curse of the Mutants and the death of Dracula beforehand is the peek into all the different vampire nations and Giannis and Zarus and Dracula's sons and all that. I have enjoyed that more than anything else. And so I'm hoping that this, you know, that come the end of it, they're not all dead or, you know, whatever. I mean, I'm hoping to see that, that continue someplace else outside of the X-Men. And I'm alone. <laughs> so next week Avengers number 5 comes out and I know we're all picking that one up aren't we uh, nope I don't buy Avengers books I don't buy Avengers books <laughs> <laughs> next week is kind of a, a slowish week well you uh, know there's uh, again only two books I'm getting from DC next week uh, Emerald Warriors number 2 comes out and then Paul I'm buying a JSA book. Oh, the Kingdom Coming. Yeah, because Scott Collins wrote and drew it, and I loves me some Scott Collins. Is I it a one too. shot or is it the... is? It's a it's a fifty six page one shot. I might give that one a chance. I miss JSA. They just start telling good stories in the book. Well, and I, I'm just I'm 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 stoked by it. So uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick that one up. Isn't the new creative team coming on JSA, uh, including Scott Collins as I am the artist? So, I am so out of touch with what's going on on JSA right now, I couldn't tell you. I think in a couple of months, I think the Willingham stuff, um, I think he's leaving the title. Uh-huh. 
and I'm pretty sure someone else is coming on it. I'm just trying to remember who it is. I uh, know James Robinson's on it right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm pretty sure uh, Scott Collins will be the artist, and Mark Guggenheim is going to be the writer, starting with issue 44. I'm, I may pick it up at that point because I do miss Justice Society. That would push me up to two DC books if I do the same. Because yeah. I will keep getting Batman Beyond until the end of the storyline. Yeah, me too. <laughs> we sound like beaten wives or something. <laughs> yeah, well, it's just because I, I love that character so much. And I just, I, I hope, and I've already heard they're doing an ongoing after the miniseries. I just hope it doesn't have the same creative team. I wouldn't buy this book if it was an ongoing series. I, you know, yeah. I'd buy it because I know there's only six issues. I would have dropped it by now if it were ongoing. Yeah. And Emerald Warriors, which we mentioned. Uh, the conclusion of Marvel Universe versus The Punisher is next week. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, so. so are they yeah. keeping JSA All-Stars? Yes. To my knowledge. There really isn't much next week. I mean, normally when you say that, I go out there and I end up having a huge list. But looking at it, oh, there's but, not much. But get this. Stupid Marvel is making me buy another Incredible Hulk's book. No. Because <laughs> <laughs> because they've got uh, Enigma Force. And I love those characters. See, I didn't know who that was. Well, you see, Commander Ron was from the original Micronauts series. And I see that they've got Bug in there because, you know, Bug has disappeared from the pages of uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. And you're not seeing him in Thanos Imperative. This is where he is. He's in Enigma Force. Ah. And so, I mean, I I, I love those characters. Um, And, of course, you know, with stuff happening in the microverse with the other Hulk son – uh, they're going to be tied into that. So damn them. I'm going to have to read that. Yeah, I am going to pick up the second issue of Incredible Hulks. I hope it's better than the first. Um, if not, then I will drop it, and I'll just stick with the Red Hulk book, which is shocking of me to say. This might be a for those of you week. not I'm for so those happy. of you not buying the floppies. Incorruptible number two trade comes out tomorrow or this week as well. Oh, does oh, it? Does it? Yeah, to know. Yeah, I would. I, I do want that one. But I, I'd rather pick it up on the cheap on Amazon. Ugh, Paul. I know. I'm a I bastard. Can't be- I can't believe you said that out loud. It's okay to do it. We just don't talk about it on the Oddcast pay. <laughs> <laughs> Time bomb number two. So my guess is there's probably a lot of radical books coming out next week. Because they can't seem to release one book a week. No, they have to release everything they have all in the same week. I wonder if it's just a, a, a cheap printing thing. Like if you print in bulk... Yeah. Mm, the radical splooge. <laughs> Go! <laughs> <laughs> and we're spent for the month. That's right. Good job, Indeed. everybody. See you in four weeks. Well, and much like Radical, we have shot our goo. So uh, it's time to wrap this one up, boys. Some of us on a Stephanie Brown blow up doll. <laughs> <laughs> they don't exist. Uh huh. Yet. <laughs> She's in college now. It's legal, right? It's always legal with the latex. It's always legal. It's just dirty. You know what's sad? Before we go. Uh-oh. For some reason, you said Stephanie Brown, and I thought Stephanie Meyer. The chick who wrote Twilight. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, why is Wayne begging a 
blocked all of a fat chick. Doesn't that kind of eliminate the point? But then I realized, oh, Stephanie Brown. It makes sense now. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Well, with, with Wayne's love of vampire bo- vampires, I, I wouldn't have been shocked the other way either. <laughs> vampires do not glitter. She is wrong that's in right. every way. Well, and that's when you use the paddle on the blow up doll. <laughs> vampires may not glitter, but Wayne does. <laughs> no, there will be no glittering. <laughs> glittering is wrong in every way. Glittering force of a thousand suns, Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> On that note, (laughs) have a good week. Thanks, everybody. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast.